We are going to go ahead and get started. We got our 9-volt battery, so everyone can hear me. Um, I, I left out a pack of, uh, well, let's pray first, and then we'll get started. Blessed Lord, since you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, now on top of the little packet, it says Friday morning women's Bible study. This is obviously not Friday morning. And no offense to the men. Yes. Uh, Pastor Music asked me uh, Thursday night, I think. Um, and we felt it was best for him to be able to make the statement one more time. And uh, so he said, do you have any Bible study that you could just not prepare for? And I said, I think so. <laughs> Anyways, I also thought this was a good Bible study because I think it's good for us to actually consider some of the themes in this Bible study, in our own kind of corporate community sense, too. The, the topic is the gospel endings, invitation to hope. And for women Bible study people, you've heard this before, but maybe you, you know, there was a lot coming at you, you haven't had time to dwell, meditate upon it, so this will give you another chance. But um, anybody who's a, a T.S. Eliot fan... Uh, he speaks about beginnings and ends quite a bit, and I think he's pretty, pretty good. So I'm going to read uh, two statements from him. Two, one is from the Four Quartets. That's a very well-known poem by T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot, for those who don't know, is an American author, American poet, who uh, did become a British citizen, but that's beside the point. Okay. Oh, man, Carol, I got... Caught up on my 9-volt battery. Uh, everybody put a lot of money inside the baskets. That's all I really should say, right? Four. No, oh yeah, four. Um, this weekend we are helping supporting Lutheran Church Charities, LCC. And uh, $35, every $35 will help a family drink clean water in Haiti. They're basically for water filtration for five families in Haiti. Five years. Five years. For better or for worse, I can't make announcements. <laughs> Needless to say, everybody put a lot of money in there because for every $35, one family for five years will have clean drinking water in Haiti. That still quite is not right, is it? If you, yeah, but I think I made it for every Haitian family, didn't I, in that statement? Okay, anyways. Back to gospel endings. See, this is one of the great examples. No matter how horrible this announcement started, it doesn't have to end that way. <laughs> now, the great thing about the gospel endings is, uh, is uh, well, here, let's read T.S. Eliot. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. You guys can go home and think about that. The beginning shall remind us of the end, and that's from the cultivation of Christmas trees. Why in the world did I choose this topic? Well, 
right after Easter, my family decided to read the gospel endings, all, all four resurrection accounts, for our family devotions at nighttime. And in reading this, you know, it, came, it became very evident that every gospel ends very uniquely. And one of the things, too, though, is that one of, the, one of the endings left me saying, you know, now what? Even. Meaning that, you know, the, the story seemed to be unfinished. I was unsettled by the ending. But the interesting thing is, is you know, taken as a whole, all four resurrection accounts, I couldn't help to see how these reflected life. And how many of us want to know why this or that has happened to us only to be left unsure? You know, we're asking God, why is this happening, or why did that happen? We're not sure exactly why. How many of us want to know what will happen next, but are just left with ambiguity? And how many of us want to know that everything is going to be okay, only to have it seem not okay? After reading the resurrection accounts, all three of these questions came into my mind. And I think that's very different than most of our feelings when we come across Easter, especially after the Easter vigil, right? I mean, we had a great party here. Holy smokes, it was awesome. (laughs) Seems like these kind of questions should be removed from our minds. The other thing, too, though, is why not the beginning? Why why wouldn't I focus on the beginning? Well, the beginning is kind of worthless if you've already begun. And since all of us are alive... We've already begun. We can't change the beginning. We can't change what's happened. But the ending is still in front of us. And we can do something about that because Jesus is with us. The ending is the part where you can actually fully participate as a new person. Now, biblically speaking, too, the endings often remind us of our beginnings. Eden lost, Eden restored, or paradise. You know, Pastor Bruzic has done that with you guys last year, I think, especially. Uh, but even though the endings and the beginnings are very similar, the ending is not the same as the beginning. And the endings will help us know that even though we can't go back to the way it was, that is okay. And that's actually best. Because when we come to the ending, it reminds us of the beginning. Because we've actually experienced life, we can go back to the beginning and do things differently. So, you know, we know that the beginning and the end are different. Taking them together, the ending helps us to see the beginning in a new light. Since we've already begun, and sometimes maybe many of us are in the middle of a story we really don't want to be a part of. We'll explore the endings to help us reinterpret why we're here at this point in our life at this time. But we'll reinterpret it in light of the gospel. But before we get to gospel endings, we have to figure out how in the world do other Bibles end? They all end with everyone riding off into the sunset, right? Happily ever after, boy gets the girl, underdog wins, right? That's how the Bible, right? Can anybody name any of the Bible endings like that? 
There are there are actually three books of the Bible in the Old Testament of three fairy tale endings, sort of fairy tale. But we'll need to, to think about this because the endings in the the Bible are not for our entertainment. These are not, you know, these are not Hollywood movies. Okay, they're not written for our satisfaction. And I think Jonah is a good point. Turn to Jonah. If you have your really cool Pew Edition Bible, it's on the page of 774. The ending actually is on 775. But you don't have to have a Bible because I'm going to read it to you. First of all, does everyone know the story of Jonah? God told him to go to Nineveh, which was an enemy of the people of God. Jonah says, No. Nineveh's this way, Jonah goes that way. Eventually, you know, he winds up in a boat, tossed by the sea, and then he's tossed over by the sailors. And then he winds up on shore, makes his way to Nineveh, preaches the word that God had given him to speak, and Nineveh, even though an enemy of God, hears the word of God and repents. Which, you know, that that sounds like a good story, right? But how does Jonah take it? He is angry. He is the anti-church growth person. (laughs) God brings the entire city of Nineveh, which is a huge city, to to, to their knees to repent and believe the gospel. Jonah's angry. After 40 days, God said, you know, if they don't repent after 40 days, he's going to smote the city. So Jonah's thinking, you know what? I'm just going to stay outside the city just to watch this happen, just in case. Maybe I will get satisfaction. And we all know he sits out there, plant grows, right? And then the next day it is dead. Similar to my garden. Grubs come, infest it. All right, so that's where we are in the story. And, you know, Jonah's angry about it, but this is what the Lord says to Jonah. And the Lord said to Jonah, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in the night. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention one thing. What would Jonah rather do right now? Die. He wants to die. Okay, so this isn't like he just kind of doesn't like him. He hates him. And if we think about it, Jonah is in a state of what kind of belief? You can say it. Disbelief. He is not a good Christian. Okay? This is the state of Jonah is in right now. We don't want to whitewash our thinking of Jonah. We're not interpreting the Bible through the arch books that we all read to our children. Which are great books, by the way. I love them. We're just reading the Bible now. So Jonah is in a state of disbelief. And this is what the Lord says. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being a night, in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? <laughs> if you're looking for anything else, you're not getting it. 
which makes me think that maybe somebody just, you know, wanted to read this. They were using their scroll, like their arch book, reading to their kids every night the story of Jonah, and it got so worn out, it must have fell off, right? I mean, but that's not what happened. This is not a happy ending. But it's in the Bible. This is the Word of God. The thing to which we put our hope and trust the, the, the means in which Jesus is given to us. I think with this ending, everyone's thinking, hey, there's got to be a punchline, some kind of secret ending here, Pastor. Let me know, because we're kind of dissatisfied with the ending. I will not give it to you. <laughs> we wonder what it means for us. When we read this ending, we're like, what in the world is going on here? This can't be the end of the story. This can't be the way it ends. But we just don't know. But the great thing about what this story does here in Jonah is it makes us talk about it. Just like all you Glee fans out there, what, what do you call them, Gleeks? Or any other favorite TV shows when they're on, although we have DVR now these days, we don't do this anymore, but you know, you stay home on a, you know, not on a Wednesday night, but on any night where there won't be church, a Monday night. <laughs> And, you know, when you're watching your favorite TV show, right, you text or you call up your favorite friend, right, and you say, I can't believe, did you just see what happened? And then at the end, when it says, terrible words, to be continued, we call up our favorite friend and say, can you believe this? What do you think is going to happen? And you keep talking about it. And, of course, the sad thing is, is that next week we have our, all our answers to our questions, Right? Sometimes, maybe not. But the point is, is that when we are dissatisfied with an ending, we talk about it. And we engage that story in a very real way. And maybe that's why God wrote it the way he did. We don't know if Jonah is going to, if he repented, we don't know what happened to Jonah. And just because it's in the Bible, we shouldn't presume that he actually did. The question is not what happened to Jonah. The question is what's going to happen to you. When you read this, and that's the only part you can deal with. You can't, you can't change Jonah. You can't, I mean, who knows what happened to Jonah? It's not the point. Now, the thing is, though, on the brighter side of things, there are some fairy tales in the Bible. Ruth, Esther, and Job. Although Job, we're kind of stretching the meaning of a fairy tale. <laughs> Right? What happens to Ruth? Ruth is, you know, comes back, she's nothing, but yet she marries Boaz, and then what happens? Right? They get married, and who comes along? David. And he's kind of an important guy in the Bible. Esther, of course, what happens to Esther? Right? Saves everybody. And then what happens to Mordecai? He comes second in command. Of the largest kingdom of the world. Man, that, that is closure I like. Right? The underdog, they, they get their justice. And at nighttime, I can just sleep. I don't have to think about it anymore. And Job, Job, what happens to Job? He receives twice fold what was taken away from him. Although the in-between, I don't think any of us really want to live through but at least there is some satisfaction at the end. We're like, yes, God came through. So there are some 
different kinds of stories in the Old Testament. But, you know, as we get through the rest of the Old Testament, one of the things is that there's very few books that are actually what I like to call complete. I mean, they are written the way they're supposed to be written. But we don't come to the end of any of the Bible stories at the end, any of the biblical books, and we say, we're done. There's always something else happening. Joshua could be a complete story, but, yeah, I don't know. I think that's the one case. But Genesis, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all end the book with the next thing. It is to be continued. There's no end in the story. There's no ending. If it is, it looks towards something else. And then even the rest of the Old Testament, we have endings that, yes, like in some of the prophetic books where we have Israel being terrible people, and then we have this glimmer of hope at the end, but God will restore them back to the land of Israel. The only one that really is kind of depressing is Nahum, which... I think Pastor Bruzek's going to start a study on that next week, right? Just kidding. No one will be here. <laughs> Nahum is not our favorite Bible book, biblical book. I'm not going to ask how many people have not read it. <laughs> but that, that book ends terribly. I mean, it's Nineveh's winning, and Israel is just trash. I mean, they're just ruined. And, and you really want another page. You at least want another verse on that book. So what I'm getting at here, though, is that almost, the, almost all of the Old Testament books have endings that look forward, that actually aren't endings. There's no conclusion to it. And it taken as a whole, there's always at least a bit of hope. And that's really important. Hope, hope that something will happen even in the midst of the tragedy. Now, I'll be testing your biblical knowledge, is that the promised land, was, was given to Israel. Yet their unfaithful kings caused foreign rulers to come and, and basically shatter the kingdom, shatter the promise. And then they took them out of Israel. And, and all we have is, yeah, they'll, they'll go back at some time. Then in Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah, we still have them coming back, but yet what? They're still not under, there's, there's, God's not ruling them still. They have a foreign king still ruling them. It's completely not according to the promise that God had given them. But because they end with a bit of hope in the midst of the tragedy, even though we don't know exactly what's going to happen next, obviously we do because we have the New Testament, but if we were at that time, even though we don't know exactly what's going to happen next, the, what gives us hope is the fact that God is in the middle of it. And that is the fundamental difference for us today. Um, I'll just go ahead and say, you know, just some stuff about the gospel endings. If the, gospel, if the Old Testament ended this way, then we shouldn't be surprised that the resurrection accounts end this way. And the women who were at Women's Bible Study on Friday, Gospel of Mark is the perfect example. Gospel of Mark ends at verse 8. In the middle of a sentence, 
with the women afraid and not telling anybody about the resurrection. In fact, I mean, if we go into the Greek, it actually ends in the, literally in the middle of the sentence with four. The women were afraid for... And that's one of the things you pick up the book and you're like, is there, did I, something happen? Yes, we have 9 through 20, but those are all later manuscripts, and I think that just demonstrates the fact that from the beginning, people have had problems with endings. We want to put our ending on the story rather than God give us the ending. And so the Gospel endings are very peculiar, especially in the Gospel of Mark, because it does seem unfinished. You can go home tonight, take, take a read of it is that in the Gospel of Mark, what happens is that it doesn't finish inside the pages. The story ends outside the pages, and it ends in our lives. Um, so that's what the Gospels do. Well, and it also tells, the Gospels also tell us that the time in between, Jesus says he will come back. He has risen from the dead. For those of us who believe that the testimony is true, even though we haven't, no one has seen the bodily resurrection of Jesus in here, I don't think. We're not that old. But we believe the words that the women did tell. Gospel of Mark, we don't know if they told, but we do know they, told, they said somebody to somebody because we're here today. If they kept it to themselves, we wouldn't be here today. But we believe that testimony. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he will come again. But the time in between is unwritten. Or it's being written. And we are part of that writing. We are part of that creative process. Jesus brings us into his resurrection. His life of resurrection. And he's writing the story with us right now. We have an ending that ends up in heaven with all the faithful. But the time in between, we don't have anything written except for that Jesus is with us. And that fundamentally changes how we live now. And that fundamentally changes our understanding of hope. Because many of us want to put our hope into a circumstance, an event, something that happens. We want the hope that it's going to live happily ever after. The boy will get the girl, and the underdog will win the game. But the scripture says all those can fail, and we can still have hope. Our hope is not in a fairy tale ending, and our hope is not in the fact that the boy will get the girl, and our hope is not in... The fact that the underdog will win the game. It's not in a circumstance. It's in something different. Uh, And I think, I mean, for many people my age and younger, uh, we we actually don't even, they're nice stories. But we we don't actually believe them to be true. A fairy tale ending is not true. It makes us feel good. And sometimes we need to be feel Sometimes I need to feel good. I need to escape reality. Because I'm tired of it. I need to take a break. I need to refresh. But those stories actually don't 
help me cope with what's real. They actually don't help me make it through to the end of the day. If they did, I have a problem because I'm escaping from reality and that's precisely what Jesus tells us not to do. He tells us to go into the world. The world that's all screwed up. Not the fairy tale world. So I think for many people like my age, we read this and we're like, okay, this is a nice story, but whatever. And I think that's because we don't... Too many people my age have come from divorced families, broken homes, and, and we just know that you know, people screw up. And life, you know, life is full of struggles. And that's just the way it is. You know, it's no judgment on anything. It's just describing the way life is. And so we don't seek resolution in an event, like I said. And we don't, we don't see hope in terms of a circumstance. But we see hope in something different. Resolution is not an ending, but a resolution is actually in the hope itself. Hope is its own ending. But hope by its very nature is unfinished. Hope is its own closure. The ending will come when it comes, and that's that. Hope waits, gives strength to carry on into the day so that you can get out of bed and just live. In life, we don't always see resolution. In fact, I think many of us are wondering what the resolution will be for our congregation. But in spite of this, we still desire the strength and hope to endure to the ending, more specifically, our ending. And where does this happen? Before I answer where does this happen... If you haven't seen Little Miss Sunshine, it's a movie, I do encourage everybody to watch it because of its ending. It will probably offend most of you people here. I just can be honest, but I still recommend it. Little Miss Sunshine is very helpful for us to understand kind of how the Bible speaks about endings because... The ending in this movie is not resolved. There's a son in the movie. His entire life is, is, is desiring to go to the Air Force. But at the end of the movie, he, we know he's not going to the Air Force. Little Miss Sunshine is actually a beauty pageant, and the little girl does not win Little Miss Sunshine. The dad in the story has, has uh, spent his entire life savings for this deal, this book, like uh, self-help. Like he's, he wants to tell people how to live their life you know, to its fullest, but yet he's as screwed up as everybody else's. So he spends all his money on this, and guess what happens? He fails. And at the end of the movie, there's no, there's no deal. He's, he's a failure. And the uncle who is suicidal at the end of the movie still is suicidal. But at the end of the movie, even though all these things are unresolved, you watch this movie and what? guess what? You have hope. Because the hope that they have is not in the circumstances, is not in the traditional way of storytelling. The hope that they have is in this great scene where they dance. Little Miss Sunshine, this girl, oh, by the way, the other thing too is the, the grandpa's dead. He dies. He's, st- he's still dead by the end of the movie. 
And this little girl, a little Miss Sunshine, does a little dance routine, and she learns this dance from her grandpa, which if you've seen the movie, no. There's a reason why I'm not showing it this morning. <laughs> and the people in this beauty pageant are so offended by this. This is not what beauty is supposed to be. Family looks around, wondering what's happening. But the uncle, in a moment of clarity, stands up and starts clapping and cheering. And this girl, who is about to be crushed, no hope, because of this uncle, her face literally brightens, and she knows she can get through it. Then her dad says, notice, is the beauty pageant coordinator telling security, and he, th- he knows that Someone's going to take my daughter off the stage. So he stands up, and he's saying to everybody, all right, let's go. And he's, he's clapping, he's cheering. And then the mom, then the brother, and the whole family, nobody else in the entire place is cheering. But at the end, when security is about to take his, his daughter off the stage, he says, you will not touch my daughter. I will take care of it. And guess how he takes care of it? He joins in the dancing. And at the end, the reason why there's hope is because the family demonstrates their hope in their dancing in front of everyone that they will remain a family in the face of everything. And through this relationship, their family relationship, they will have hope. Their hope is tangible. It is not in some event that won't happen. Their hope is tangible because it's in the relationship. Their hope is in the community. Their hope is in a person. And this is helpful for us, for A, for those of us who want to see purpose but have problems with seeing it, or those who rush to an event that gives purpose. The end of Little Miss Sunshine serves no purpose. There is no point to it. And the reality is, is that some things in life, there just might not be a grand purpose or, or one that we know of. And an event in our life might be resolved, but at the same time, this does not destroy our hope in the ending. And an ending that's good because our hope doesn't lie in the circumstance, but it lies in the person. Our hope lies in the community. That when we stay together, no matter what, We'll have hope. Primarily because Jesus is here. And because Jesus is here, it doesn't matter what happens. We've arrived. So this is the endings. And this is what happens at the gospel. What happens at the end of the gospel of Matthew? Jesus gives a great commission, right? What's the very last verse? Anybody? Quizzing confirmation time. Well, say it. I will be with you to the end of the age. How does the Gospel of Luke end? Trying to have a quick question. Trying to have a kind of a trick question. Well, it's the beginning of Acts. That's right. With the ascension. Yes, that's right. 
But when Jesus blesses them and goes out of the sight, well, what is he doing? Because what happens at the beginning of Acts, which is the end of Luke? The Holy Spirit comes, and Jesus is with them. Now the Gospel of John just keeps going, by the way. That ending just keeps going. That is like an airplane. <laughs> Over an airport, you're thinking it should really end in chapter 20, but it doesn't. It's got one more chapter. What? How does, how does the end of chapter 21 end? How long is it going to take you to get done with Jesus? Forever. What Jesus does for us and what he, he promises to do will never leave us. Even if we tried. There's not enough books in the world to contain what Jesus has done. Which means he's not leaving. He is here. And even though, like, I don't know what's going to happen on Monday morning, I hope nothing. It's my day off. <laughs> hope I... <laughs> but you never know. But whatever happens tomorrow, my hope is not in the things that happen, but it's in the fact that Jesus is with me. And that is, that, that, those are the gospel endings. And that is the gospel ending for each one of our own lives, is that no matter what happens, you know, like in the, in the, the gospel reading, wolves might come and try to eat us. But that does not destroy our hope, because our hope is in the fact that Jesus is with us. All right, any questions? I'm done. Is that your ending? Uh, yeah, it is finished. Dave Crawford. Yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, absolutely. It's hard to not have a relationship when you're wrestling with somebody. That is a denial of reality. <laughs> I, I'm, not t- I'm not talking about the kind of relationship, but you will have a relationship. That's right. Actually, Dave, it's funny that you mentioned that because that was the other one I was going to do today. Uh, Genesis 32 is very important for us for what Dave is saying. Jacob, what? Uh, Jacob is not comfortable being himself, is he? He's a rotten guy. Well, he's a rotten guy, but when we first meet Jacob, who is he trying to be? Esau. And then in this moment, the angel says, who are you? And what does he say? I'm Jacob. And what, what does the angel say? Nope. You are Israel. You are the one who struggles or wrestles with God. Um, and that, that, Dave, that's great, man. You had a home run. Because I'll tell you what. You can hear about it the rest of the day. Because what happened is that is there, there's this relationship between God and you. You might be angry with God. You might be wrestling him because you're angry. You might be wrestling with God because he wants something from him. But the great thing is, is God doesn't really care. He just wrestles. He's wrestling with you. Um, In the same way, Job was supremely happy. Well, I'll explain more. Then we got to be done. Oh, yeah, uh, Job 34. 
exactly. Which is a, like a, a nuance of what we're talking about, is the fact that we think we're going to have this nice, neat kind of conversation with God. And God says, well, he says, the naughty, I mean, he tells them off. I mean, he literally tells them, I mean, like, this is where, you know, the Bible is not rated G, by the way. <laughs> this is a perfect example where God, man, he is so offensive. You know, he tells you, like, who in the world are you? Were you there when I set the limits? Were you there when? Jacob's like, uh, nope. Yeah, that's right. So, but we can all think of these uh, these uh, stri- uh, these uh, unusual struggles that we have with God in all different kinds of circumstances. But on the flip side, too, though, we have great blessings too, where we don't have to struggle with God, and yet we still receive the grace and wonder. So, yeah, don't lose sight about that, because you'll you'll read the Gospels and you see so many people who don't deserve anything, and all of a sudden they get everything. So, you're like, hey, that's not what Pastor or Pastor Nelson was talking about. That's right, I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about the other parts where we're, we're struggling in life. Okay. All right. Let's, it's 10.45. I don't think Pastor Music ever ends at 10.45. So I guess we could take a couple other minutes. Any other question? Yes? What's that? Oh, he is the Alpha and the Omega. Exactly. Not only in his hands, but in him, in his body, which would then go with our hope in the community. Yeah, that, that, that could be, but the sovereignty is very elusive for us. That is a huge, very abstract understanding of, of God's presence. Well, that's because uh, it's not abstract because God is what? Very present to him in a very bodily way. And a voice that he can hear. So, yeah, a, a, a sovereignty, yeah, you're right, sovereignty is right, but I, wouldn't, I, I don't like talking about that because it's too abstract. It's too elusive. And Jesus is very tangible. Uh, and that, that, that's why uh, when you say Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega... He's the beginning of the end. He doesn't hold, yeah, he holds in his hands, but I am the Alpha and the Omega. This, this is his identity. So those of us who, as Christians who have been brought into his body, his existence, are, 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 have this relationship, are bought, brought into that relationship, the one, the beginning and the end. And that's very tangible. And it's tangible for us today because we're here. I mean, it's a miracle that we're here. Maybe that's another Sunday Bible study, though. The miracle isn't the, the Willow Creeks of the world. The miracle is that one person shows up this morning. Because why are we here? We're not here for personal benefit. We're here because Jesus draws us here. That's why the Good Shepherd is so helpful for us, by the way, because there, there's a wolf coming and eating us. And yet we're here still. That just, that just that image just still bothers me. I still have yet to see a painting with it. <laughs> it's a wolf like biting somebody. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing too. Psalm twenty-three. Eat, 
I mean, God bless the Serenity Pictures and uh, Warner Solomon. You know, he's probably the chief architect of all those. Um, they just—it's not Psalm twenty-three, and it's John, not John ten. It's a, it, sometimes we like to escape the world, though, so it's okay. It's okay if you have that on your wall at home. Sheep are dirty too. Yeah, that's another thing too. You caught up on it. Yeah, sheep. I have yet to meet a white sheep. <laughs> you go out to Cosley Zoo, there is. There's stuff hanging off of them that I don't want to touch. Oh. Every single one. Now, I, yeah, I, uh, all right, let's pray. With that, we'll end with a bunch of crap. All right. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.